The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Jeremy Speak is an aviation expert and television personality. In 1996, Jeremy featured in the BBC documentary series Airport, where he worked as the ground services manager for Aeroflot. His appearance on the programme brought him to wider public notice and celebrity. And Jeremy is on the line with us here. How are you doing today? I'm really well, thank you. Good to be with you. It's great to have you here because aviation is not just your career, but it's your passion, right? Oh, big time. Absolutely. Uh, there's nothing quite um, as enjoyable as watching a, a load of people heading off into um, the skies, you know, to visit friends, family, relatives. Um, it's just an amazing industry. And um, I've spent 38 years now um, trying to look after people going from um, A to B. So, um, yeah, it's definitely more than just a job. Yeah. Even people that don't particularly call themselves aviation nuts or aren't that bothered about it every time they go to an airport they're still amazed by how this really heavy thing can get off the ground yeah absolutely i mean when you think about it in in just over a hundred years we've gone from flying around in a string bag to sitting in airplanes capable of carrying you know upwards of 600 passengers yeah. um, and they they navigate the world um, i mean if you think about you know looking at your your average sat nav in a car um how that's taken taken the world by storm aeroplanes have been doing that for for decades and i think people look at them and kind of even even if they don't really understand it they're amazed by the wonder of of just how you get from a to b it's interesting because the aeroplane has been around for over 100 years now as you mentioned do you think that it's going to evolve even further or are we kind of found a groove now if you see what i mean yeah it's an interesting one i think if you were to ask richard branson He'd tell you it's definitely going to change. Uh, he's recently um, had a, a, an amazing event where they've um, basically set a, an, an orbiter um, into the sky to kind of um, be a prelude to um, a mass market of people being able to travel on the periphery of space to go from um, you know destinations to destinations. Um, have we have we found ourselves in a groove? I don't think so. Um, aviation is one of those things that just 
continually evolves. Um, safety is always the number one priority. So when I think about just how safe aviation is nowadays and how many thousands of people are involved in just getting one aeroplane from um, a airport to the next airport um, it is phenomenal. And I think that what we're going to start seeing, um, because obviously we've had lots of challenges over the last two or three years because of the, the COVID pandemic, what we're going to start to see is smaller airports um, and smaller aeroplanes probably doing longer journeys, taking less people, but connecting um, smaller communities directly with each other rather than having to go via a big hub. Um, so there's plenty still to be done, I think. Um, uh, I don't think we're ever going to get to a world where virtual reality takes over from um, touching the flesh with people. And we saw yeah. that during COVID, definitely. Because you've worked in the industry, from your perspective, COVID has got to be the most devastating thing that's happened to the industry ever. Totally and utterly. I mean, I, I remember um, being in China when 9-11 um, happened um, and I was actually sitting in a in a restaurant in Beijing and um, we thought we were watching a, a diehard movie. Um, I actually commented, I said to um, a couple of the people I was sat there with, um, you know, where's Bruce Willis? Surely, surely this is a, a, a film. And they said, yeah. no, no, no. This is really happening. Um, and after 9-11, we thought we'd reached the um, most devastating event that could ever befall aviation. And without doubt, um, it's definitely um, something that none of us can ever um, forget because it was so profound um, and so horrific. But COVID came along and completely rewrote all of the rules. Um, you know, if you think about it, you'd gone from being able to just get on an aeroplane and use it like a bus, thanks to the advent of low-cost airlines to suddenly now having to complete uh, a myriad of, of um, documentation to have had all your, your vaccinations to be wearing a mask to be prepared to um, you know sit in quarantine for up to three weeks depending on where you traveled to um, I mean it was just horrendous and we went from an industry that um, certainly at Heathrow was was employing you know hundreds of thousands of people and literally within the space of three weeks um, 40 45,000 staff handed in their airside passes. Um, I mean, that's that's absolutely prolific. Um, and it, it kind of taught everybody in aviation that we've got to work really hard um, at uh, keeping it safe and keeping it um, uh, an industry that people can have confidence in. Yeah. Last summer, of course, it kind of bounced back all of a sudden. What are your thoughts on the delays there? Because was it to be expected? Yeah, I think deep down, it, it was really. I mean, certainly I, I kept saying to people across industry, you know, this is going to bounce. People have been literally pent up for the last two, three years, not being able to go anywhere. Um, but the difficulty for any any um, of the airports or the airlines was, um, you know, yes, it's going to bounce back. But where is it going to bounce back? Who's going to want to go where? Um, and it, it just caught everybody probably um, just a little bit by surprise by the sheer numbers of people. I don't think it was a surprise that people were going to want to travel yeah. um, 
and I think that, you know, certainly the bigger airports um, had a, a bigger problem to resolve. I mean, when you look at some of the airports in the UK, most notably places like Liverpool, um, they had a, an absolutely phenomenal bounce back because yeah. they, they were ready, they were prepared. Um, Birmingham was another one that um, people thought were going to get it wrong, but they kind of got it right. Um, and then, of course, there was my poor friend John down at Heathrow trying to, um, you know, make four terminals work smoothly. Um, not easy task when you've lost so much experience. A lot of people um, that loved the industry and, and were really passionate about it could see that actually it's only got to take another virus somewhere to create another kind of death knell to the industry. So a lot of people haven't come back. So years and years of experience have just evaporated. So yeah, not a surprise. Um, it's sad, but um, it's definitely on the up now. People are starting to uh, get back to having good numbers. So they're they're aware that they've got to be ready for the summer this year, because I think it's going to be a bummer. Um, certainly the, the forward booking trends that um, airline executives keep telling me about is really positive. So um, um, but I still think the the travelling public have got to continue to be patient. They've got to continue to understand that everyone's there to do a job to keep them safe. Um, and sometimes it just means you're going to have to be in a queue, unfortunately. Yeah. A lot of people would have been very anxious about the paperwork and then to have all this stuff last summer. Do you think people will have just gone, well, I'm not going to go on holiday this year. I can't be bothered with all that. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we definitely needed to learn from what happened, and hopefully we're we're making moves in the industry to deal with it is to streamline all of that paperwork stuff because if something like this ever happens again you kind of want one form that does everything for everybody um and and that requires a national engagement across the world um but you're right a lot of people have probably thought you know something actually i can't be doing with the aggravation perhaps i'll think about staying um locally um and enjoy some of the highlights that you know britain's got to offer but that's not without its challenges you know um Brexit has brought about um, a large exodus of people who were European nationals that were working here in the UK doing lots of the particularly the service industry jobs, you know, like working in restaurants and working for um, holiday providers and, and campsites and things like that. A lot of those people have gone. So those industries themselves are struggling to recruit. So um, you may have just as much pain domestically as you would if you'd filled in the forms and headed off to somewhere warm. Yeah, it was maybe quite annoying for some people as well because I went somewhere last year that I needed a couple of documents for and they never even checked them so it was a waste of time yeah you see that that is so I'll tell you something if that happened to me they'd have known <laughs> I'd got the forms because I'd have made sure that they actually bothered to look at them uh, you're absolutely right there are some countries that were literally just making things so impossible for people I think one of the challenges was and we saw it ourselves in the UK um, you know you get a government announcement on a on a Monday, perhaps um, by Thursday that had changed because they got new intelligence or new information about um, how to deal with the virus. And if you look at the criteria of of each country, uh, one of the worst countries to try and satisfy the bureaucracy of was India. Uh, you know their system kept crashing; people kept getting annoyed by it. Um, and there's nothing more debilitating than you do the right thing, you do all your research, you fill in all the forms, you make sure you've got all of the things that you need and then nobody's bothered about it um you know because you then kind of think well i needn't have bothered but it'll be the one day when you don't bother that they actually do want to look at it and they yeah. decide 
spot check and you end up being subjected to unnecessary bureaucracy. But, you know, my advice to anybody traveling at any time, regardless of, of the events that we've we've seen over the last three, four years, um, always do your research. Make sure you, you, you check what documentation is required and, um, you know, don't take anything for chance. I mean, how many people would you see um, on these uh, reality programs that are flying with low cost airlines that don't have their boarding cards with them and then are shocked that they're being asked to pay 50 pounds to have a new one? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, there are some some things in life we just need to take responsibility for ourselves and, and making sure we've got the right documents is definitely one of them. There's always articles online about people not realising that they can't have the biggest bag in the world under the seat. I know, that just, I mean, it's just hilarious, really. Yeah. I love the fact, if you, go on, if you go online, you can now see people coming up with all these ingenious ways in which you can beat the low-cost airline's yeah. rigorous baggage policies. And I saw one the other day, and I was so enthused by it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. They basically put this enormous coat on um, and had wrapped all this stuff into a uh, one of those um, pillows that you put on when you're flying, you know, one of those nice air cushions pillows they basically put an entire week's worth of clothing in it um and took that on board with a another bag and i just thought oh well there you go good on you it's a great way of overcoming the problem it's a brilliant idea and i think people ought to not be put off traveling as well because right at the height of all this kerfuffle last summer I went to the airport and from joining the queue at security to getting out, it was only four minutes. The yeah. queue at Burger King was longer. Yeah, exactly that. You're absolutely right. I think one of the the, the biggest challenges, there, there are always going to be certain times, particularly in big airports, where you are going to find being processed, um, even on a really good day, is going to take a while. Um, you know, for example, if you were at Heathrow on a Monday morning at 6am, um, anybody that's traveling on business the world is is you know dogger there um and they're all wanting to get through security however if you pick a wednesday afternoon at three o'clock um you might not see anybody else um yeah. it is very much a case of um don't be put off um you know queuing is a, a national pastime anyway um and and you're right a lot of airports um london city was was a good example of this um they were processing people in less than five minutes um you know big airports I mean, Gatwick, I went down to Gatwick um, last year, at the height of all of the, the challenges. And I was through security in two minutes, sat down, um, you know, with almost nothing to do because the shops weren't open because <laughs> there weren't enough passengers. Um, but security was moving really well. Um, the lounge was busy, but, you know, not completely jammed with folk. Um, so you're right. I think people need to kind of now start normalising um, the, the, the sort of the challenges that we've had and accept that actually it is a really good thing to do travel um discover the world go and touch the touch the flesh of the relatives and all those other great things that we like to do when we travel so yeah i'm hoping that people are going to be keen to get going again um and that um the airports themselves because we've had a good six months of knowing what was coming um they're preparing they're recruiting there's lots of training going on at the moment airlines are in exactly the same situation i mean there's not a day go by where I don't have an airline saying to me or you know we've got another cabin crew course running or we've got another load of ground handling staff that are being recruited so um, they're definitely preparing for it um, so all being well if you pick the right airport the right destination right day of the week you should have a really good experience yeah now the thing you're best known for probably is appearing in the documentary series airport back in 1996 
What was it like to be told that you'd be a part of that? Well, it was actually all a bit of a bizarre situation, really, because um, the researchers had come along to Heathrow and they they sort of milled around and um, met various people. And one of the producers that was working on the series um, had been in Moscow um, and he'd been doing a, a programme about the T-34 tank during the Second World War, um, was probably the, the most manufactured tank going because the numbers um and while he was there um he happened to be asked by the the bbc fixer in moscow um you know what's the next project and he said oh i'm i'm gonna be at heathrow and uh, she knew me this particular fixer um and she'd known me for years and she turned around and basically said to him oh you need to go and meet jeremy you know aeroflot um it'll be amazing so anyway he came along and met me and i kind of didn't really really give too much uh, credence to it to be honest because I was just having a fairly typical day. We were missing a, a, a Mongolian deportee. Um, it was raining. We were struggling to get water. Um, it was all the usual things that happen when you're trying to keep an airline running. Um, and I gave no thought to it. And literally about three months later, um, I walked into the office to find him and the crew stood there ready to start filming. Um, and uh, I was surprised. And I was surprised because I didn't expect um, head office in Moscow to agree to it. Um, because everybody had a, a, a kind of a, a distorted view of, of Aeroflot as an airline. Um, you know, the, the stewardesses were, were probably perceived as being the sort of ladies that shaved their legs with a sickle and all those kind of nuts things that people used to say. And um, so I was really surprised. And uh, when the director general of Aeroflot called me and said, I hope you're, you're OK with this. And I said, well, I don't really have a lot of choice. They're here now. Um, <laughs> all good. Don't worry. We'll do our best to um, to tell the truth about the way things are and how difficult some days are and how some days are just amazing and and go really well and it just became an overnight success and i, I it was bizarre because the very first episode i'd um i purposely stayed at home with the curtains drawn and the lights out thinking oh my word because when you look in the mirror you see something very different to the the image that everybody else sees when you look at yourself you hear yourself um so you kind of all have an opinion about who you are as a person so to suddenly see yourself being put on the on the screen and knowing that um, there were millions of people watching it millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It was quite a, a shock to the system. Um, and in fact, the next day um, driving into work, I got held up on the M25, which isn't unusual. <laughs> uh, and uh, while I was sat there, um, a, a driver of a, a fast food um, uh, Arctic lorry, he he basically got out of the cab because we were stationary. And he said, you're that bloke that was on the telly last night. And I said, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he said, oh, that was amazing. We can't believe the things that people get up to. And I said, well... You know, there's nothing stranger than folk in an airport. Um, and it just became an absolute storming success for the BBC. I mean, at its height, we we got moved from a a, a kind of a, a midweek slot after EastEnders. We then got moved into a Saturday night slot. Um, and this was in the days when um, you talk about viewing figures being in the um, tens of millions rather than in the millions. Um, and so airport at its peak um, reached a about 18 and a half million people in the UK, wow. um, which was a hugely successful series. Um, and now anything that gets 18 and a half million people would probably make most television executives um, die of the shock because yeah. most most programmes are lucky to get three or four million people nowadays because of the huge amount of choice we give them. Um, but the appeal of airport, um, fascinatingly, has stayed absolutely with people. You're right. People go into an airport and they're, there's there's something magical and quite mysterious about the way they work. So when I was asked to go back and and, and kind of do a, a a view of of aviation through COVID, um, I kind of did it with a, a certain amount of sort of hesitation and apprehension because I kind of thought to myself, well, everybody saw you know Jeremy back in the '90s and had kind of a, a view of him and what he was all about, and you know I'm not that person anymore. I've I've um, obviously grown older in some respects, probably a little bit wiser um, in others, probably not. Um, and so I was a bit apprehensive to know kind of how the audience were going to react to the to the series. And I couldn't have been more surprised. You know, the people who made the program kept saying to me, people are going to really love this because um, you're back doing what you do best. Um, people love seeing this sort of thing. And the human interest stories that we found along the way um, were quite profound because 
every single person in the world was being subjected to something completely alien to them, which was this virus that um, literally touched every single um, you know country and every person. So to be able to show how it impacted on an industry that I'm very passionate about was just an absolute privilege. And the the reaction from the audience was amazing. Um, they really enjoyed it. And it, you know we were we were up there with. The, I mean I don't pay much attention to viewing figures as 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 I say they don't mean a great deal anymore. But um, the only thing that was beating us when we were on on the screen last year was Coronation Street. Um, so it kind of shows just how people associate um, you know me with the airport and more importantly how the human interest in in what was going on um, was touching everyone. Yeah, there are so many different documentaries now about behind the scenes of an airport and I don't know about you but I could watch every single one of them even though they cover very similar aspects. Yeah because you know as as sad as it is I think there's a, a bit of um, voyeuristic tendency in every human. Um, we all like to watch other people trying to get through the daily rigours of life and that, that's kind of what made the, 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 the sort of the docu-soaps of the 90s so popular because you were able to sit and relate to everything you were seeing and because travel is so familiar to so many people when they actually sit watching these programs they they can actually see themselves um sitting in a terminal building or sitting inside an aircraft observing other people's behaviors so um it's just like being in a in a massive fishbowl and and everybody's looking in on you um it will always fascinate people travel um in some cases it's escapism people kind of like the idea of being able to to go to exotic places in others it's just about seeing people really struggling and and the viewer then gets the the kind of feeling that oh it also happens to them not just me um so there's a lot of that but you're right i, I mean i've done it myself I've, I've sat and watched um other programs about you know traveling and, and aviation in particular because it's always good to see um the the, the traumas and the challenges that i faced <laughs> are replicated almost everywhere you go in the world yeah. When you put people, bags and planes together, it, it kind of brings a, a, a unique set of challenges. And in this most recent series, The Airport Back in the Skies, one of the images that stays with you is you going into Terminal 4 when it's been mothballed. There's usually thousands of people there, but it was completely dead. All the shops were shut. So what was it like to see somewhere that's usually filled with life being completely dead? That's a, a really good question. And, and one, if I'm completely and utterly honest with you, it took the wind out of my sails. Um, the uh, the cameraman that I worked with on the series, um, we, we struck up a, an amazing rapport. He kind of knew um, intuitively when, when things were going to go really well and when things weren't going to be so good. And we walked in that building and he said, you look completely dry. I said, I'm shocked. I'm utterly shocked because Terminal 4, you know, I'd worked in Terminal 4 previously. I was used to sort of 10,000 people coming through the doors every hour in the peak in the summer. And suddenly there's me, the cameraman and the assistant. Um, and I'm walking around a building that um, just was so empty and so devoid of life. Um, and it, it really brought home to me the the horrendous impact that um, 
COVID had had on aviation. Um, you know, if you'd said to me sort of a, a, two years before that, Terminal 4 is going to be closed, there's going to be nobody in it, I'd have just laughed at you. Yeah. Um, because, you know, Terminal 4 was built in the early 90s, or sorry, the late 80s, yeah, 80s. And um, when when Terminal 4 um, opened, it was intended to be the, the place where all the, the long-haul flights from British Airways were going to go. Um, so it was always a busy building um, and it used to be home to Concord. So it was one of those sort of buildings that you thought, yeah, this is always going to be busy. It's never going to be quiet. And then to suddenly find it is devoid of any kind of people um, was just truly shocking. Um, and we sat in one of the coffee shops, um, myself and the cameraman with the assistant, and we must have been there for about an hour and 45 minutes just struggling to comprehend exactly what had happened um you know all the shops were mothballed um everything was covered up lots of the signs have been um shrunk wrapped and stuff um as i say the the security point that we went through they they still got security in the building but it was a handful of staff um horrendous uh, just truly shocking and um emotionally quite draining because um the story of of covid and the impact and the purpose of the program was to really kind of celebrate um, people's ability to battle on through um, the, the challenges that we had. And suddenly there we were in a building that was completely lifeless. Um, and I always say, you know, airports are like cathedrals to aviation. So y- you expect to see the congregation there. You expect yeah. to see, the, uh, you know, the, the people all, all sort of milling for um, whatever it is they need. And suddenly it's just a an empty hollow shell shocking truly shocking and i pray and hope that it, it never ever happens again um and that we've learned we've learned that actually we need to normalize things as quickly as we possibly can um and ironically air travel um throughout the the, the pandemic um was one of the smallest contributors to the um spread of of covid of anything um you know the the amount of cleansing that was going on inside air planes and and you know baggage trolleys and airports and you know it was just a constant battle to keep on top of of cleanliness um and that's continuing they're still doing it they're still keeping that that level of hygiene because it needs to be the norm yeah and that's the thing actually because i halfway during covid i had a journey to make and the plane was cheaper and i thought well hang on a plane is probably safer in terms of covid because it's a shorter period of time and and you can only really catch it from the person next to you and nobody yeah. else, really. Yeah. I mean, I can remember getting on on um, aircraft during the, the pandemic and being one of only five or six people on the aircraft. Um, but before I got on, um, you know, the crew were walking through. Every single seat was sanitised. Every overhead locker was sanitised. Um, everything you touched got sanitised. All of the rubbish that was coming off of the aircraft was going straight into a, an incineration programme. Um, and it literally was um everybody was battling to to keep on top of it escalators were being constantly cleaned lifts were constantly clean i mean it was just no part of the airport um that was open or or the aircraft that wasn't being you know constantly cleansed um uh, and and you know you're right it's it, it was so profound it was the best place to be because everybody was working to keep it safe um you know the only drawback of it was that you had to go through all of these bits of paper 
paperwork then you had to have your various tests and you know that was like a license to print money for you know for some people they view that as being, well surely you people should just be providing us with those tests and you know when you look at airports around the world they suddenly had you know locations that were doing pcr tests and you know it's it's no surprise that a lot of the um centers that got set up in airports were put in retail units where the retailer basically said look we can't afford to be here we're not selling suitcases we're not selling magazines and newspapers so you saw lots of these pcr places popping up um and actually that was the one place where um tempers got quite frayed because people were obviously anxious um it was quite an intrusive process in the first place um you know having somebody that you've never met before in your life suddenly you know shoving something up your nostril to <laughs> yeah. take a take a sample to then tell you whether or not you were allowed to travel um it was all completely counterintuitive to what we're all used to doing um but like all good um uh, humans i guess we we adapted to it really quickly uh and um fortunately that that process has now been allowed to go away and there are still one or two countries around the world that still have very strict controls over um uh, you know covid and traveling china being being the the um strongest in that respect um you know they have very very rigorous regulations around um any spiking in in the coronavirus inside china they they effectively close down wherever it is to minimize the spread of it um but it certainly wasn't aeroplane spreading it and looking ahead to this summer hopefully it's going to be better than last summer and the summer before that and before that are we going to be fully back to normal do you think there's going to be some kind of strikes i guess demand will be up again yeah you're, i mean strikes an interesting one because you kind of have to um look at what's going on generally across um uh britain with with industrial action um we can't rule industrial action out um everybody's having to pay more um and end up with less um the the nature of where we find our economy um and many other countries do too as the direct result of having to spend huge amounts in protecting the people from from the virus um this year definitely is going to be better than last um a lot more people coming back online um loads of training going on at the moment um we are going to see the peaks and troughs around the holidays uh, i mean one thing i think would be a really good idea um anybody that knows france knows that it's kind of um split into prefectures um and each one of those breaks at a different time for their summer holidays so they have kind of like three blocks of summer holiday um and i think there's a a, a real value in us starting to think about okay so if we want to kind of facilitate travel make it easier let's stop trying to squeeze everybody into five or six weeks of of july and august every year um at a time when travel companies um put the price up because they've got um a captive audience um let's start to spread some of the love share that out a little bit and start to see perhaps those those holiday periods sort of rolling through different parts of the country um so that we see a a, a trend of people traveling more consistently through the year rather than in a concentrated space i mean obviously scotland scotland breaks up for their holidays earlier anyway so june june's the the kind of the start of the big exodus from scotland so i think there's something to be said about looking at those type of things and we need as an industry um to make sure that we don't try to recover the the um you know the horrendous losses 
businesses by basically extorting huge amounts of money out of people when it isn't necessary. Um, you know, there are one or two low cost airlines who have found themselves in, in markets where they've got no competition. And suddenly the fares have gone from being reasonable to being horrendous um, simply because they've got a captive audience. We need to manage that carefully and make sure that we make travel realistically affordable. Um, you know, I think the days of the 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 nine ninety nine, you know, sort of last minute type ticket. I think they've they've probably gone certainly for the foreseeable future. Even the 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 people at um at, uh, like Ryanair and EasyJet and Wiz have all said that you know those fares are not sustainable um, as they recover. And providing we continue to look after people and keep them safe um, and make it affordable, um, but realistically affordable, we should be in a good place. Well, where are we able to keep up to date with you? And do you have any other things yourself coming up? Any future TV shows? Or is that a top secret? We're frantically talking in the background about two or three really exciting projects that we've we've had on the boil um, since sort of mid last year. Um, so, but people can always visit my website, jeremyspake.com, um, and they'll keep up to date with what's going on. Um, there will definitely be another series this year um, with me in it. Um, can't talk too much about it at the moment, but it, it is very much about people. Um, and um, I'm quite looking forward to it because I think one of the things when you spent as long as I have um, looking after people's travel arrangements, um, you get to really understand what makes people tick. And one thing I always say to folk, um, your idea of normal might not be that person's idea of normal. So the only thing that's normal is the fact that we're all different. Um, and so I kind of I've, I've had this burning desire to do a, a, a series that kind of looks at people around the world and, and how they um, kind of interact with one another. Um, so that's that's being developed at the moment. So fingers crossed we should uh, have a, a kind of an output for that by the end of the year, fingers crossed. Well, many thanks for talking to us today. It's been great to have you on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> 